Exodus 15. We're at the last vignette of Exodus 15. Um, our kids, when they're young, I suppose it's, it's poignant on uh, Mother's Day to express a little bit of, of childhood memory, uh, or at least memory of the children. When, um, when they're babies and they start to get hungry and they express their, um, their hunger pangs verbally, vocally, with those cries, they sound angry, right? I think that's the, the first probably real definition of hangry. Hungry and angry, it's that little baby uh, wanting the mother's milk. Well, it, they, they grow, and maybe they get past that a little bit until, until they go maybe, maybe to college or something or the military, and they end up with the meal plan. And the meal plan is an entirely different experience of hangry and uh, maybe never satisfied. It's interesting what food, food uh, does to us. Now, I don't know, Jake, Micah, um, this summer will be wonderful experiences for you as you go on into new life. And, and we know that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? I don't know. That's the old adage, right? Food is really crucial in life, and water is crucial for all of life. In fact, our, our bodies, some say, are about 60% H2O. You can't get very far into this wilderness experience, three days' journey, without water and realizing we need it. You know, this is a real need, not just a felt need. This is a real, viable need. They have to have water. The, the, this chapter, end of 15 through 16 and the beginning of 17, all come together um, in a sequence of tests. Three tests. Three tests around food and drink. And... They're, they're no sooner leaving Egypt. Chapters 1 to 15, one-third of the book of Exodus is in Egypt, trying to get out. And we're finally turning the corner on the way to Mount Sinai, the journey. And this will be a, a strenuous journey. And finally we arrive at Mount Sinai, verses 19 to 40 and the rest of it. So here's where we are. But we're going to call this section the meal plan, the food plan. Um, three tests. Here we read about the bitter water made sweet. Um, we'll see the, the desire for meat and God's provision for that. And then again, the need for water. Three tests. The word test is, is used several times in here. Verse 24, chapter 15. Verse 4, chapter 16. Verses 2 and 7, chapter 17. Now the first two, it's very clear that the Israelites are, test, are being tested by the Lord. And then the last little test is actually the Israelites testing God. That sounds a bit scary. Uh, through all this is their character. That's what tests do. Tests reveal what you really are or what you really know. 
and we perhaps noted that little verse, then you will know that I am the Lord. There's a test. What do you know? Do you know the Lord? God is bringing Israel through this series of tests to find out for themselves if do they really know the Lord. He's revealed himself. It reveals their character. And perhaps you noted already several times in the narrative and even into this one, their character is one of grumbling. Not just their stomachs grumbling. They are grumbling. Chapter 15, verse 24. Chapter 16, verse 2. Verses 7, 8, 9, 12. There's a lot of grumbling there. Chapter 17, verse 3. And then they quarrel. 17, verse 2, verse 7. Wow. You know, they were that way before they ever got to the wilderness. You know, we could remind ourselves reading back uh, their time now, perhaps legitimately so. They were, they were grumbling, complaining under, under the, the slavery, the bondage that they experienced, the, the heavy hand of oppression uh, by Pharaoh. And God heard that cry and delivered them. Or remember uh, Moses and Aaron going to have conference with Pharaoh and they come out and the, the, the leaders of Israel are there waiting for Moses and Aaron to come out from their conference and, and they say, we told you this was going to happen. We told you he was going to turn on us and make life hard. Look what you did to us. I mean, this is their character. This is their nature. They, this, this new trial doesn't now suddenly change them into grumbling people. It doesn't suddenly reveal what they're really like. It demonstrates what they've been all along and sadly what they will continue to be going forward. Well, the bitter water made sweet. Verses 22 to 27. Um, Verse 26 says what this test is all about. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Have they listened? Have they heard? They paid attention. There's, there's a promise here that God would heal. I am the Lord your healer. Verse 26. Yahweh Rophe. The Lord who heals. Now, in this, this incident, it's, it's God who heals the water. It's the water that's healed. The bitterness of water is identified, they call the place Mara. Does that sound, sound familiar to another narrative? I see a few nods. Yeah. Maybe the story of Ruth. And in the story of Ruth, her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, loses her husband, loses her two boys. She is widowed. Her two, her two daughters-in-laws are widowed. And her analysis of the whole situation is that life is bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. It's a hard loss. It's a, a bitter loss for her. Now what Israel is experiencing here is really quite pitiful 
compared to Naomi's loss. But this water itself is undrinkable. This water itself is bitter. Now, Israel has, has been led by the Lord. God led them out of Egypt, led them to the shores of the sea, escorted them through the waters and through the sea, delivered them from the hand of their enemy, ushers them three more days into the wilderness. God led them by the pillar of fire and cloud. He led them. We get to a place where there's bitter waters and we say, God, why'd you bring me here? Well, it's a, something I think with which we can identify. A similar kind of question. And here the, the people have what some have called a functional atheism. One summarizes it this way. Functional atheism is when you worry and you don't believe in God. When you worry, you don't believe in God. We can, we can say that we do. We can testify that we do. We can sing that we do. We can pray that we do. But when we doubt, when we worry, when we're filled with anxiety, the reality comes out. It's a functional atheism. Where is he? Or why did he do this? This reveals our character. But there's a tree. And, a, and others made this unique observation. It, it's uh, How long do you suppose that tree was there? It doesn't tell us you know, how many rings are around the trunk of the tree, how many years it's been there, but it says tree very directly. And God says, take the tree and throw it into the pool, into the water. Yes, God, God led them those days into the wilderness. God brought them to the place of wilderness, but yes, the miracle of a tree being thrown into the water, the water made sweet, sweet water. But God also knowing years in advance his creation in ages past to plant the tree in that place to be there for that specific time and thrown into the bitter waters to be made sweet for his people right then Yes, God leads us, and He even leads us into the wilderness, but we are to hear His voice. We're to listen to His voice and hear His Word. And yes, even though He's led us perhaps to a place of bitterness, He's also provided the tree to be thrown into the pools that they would be refreshed and made sweet. We need to wait upon the Lord. And yes, He'll lead us to a place of the bitter pools, but just over the valley is Elim, the place of 12 springs and 70 palms. Verse 27 goes on to say, they came to Elim, and there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Yeah, the three days into the wilderness, the 
the bitter waters, but just over the valley is the place of fresh spring water. Twelve, twelve springs. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like another narrative, another, another miraculous provision? Jesus, when he fed the 5,000 and has his 12 disciples gather up the leftovers, there's how many baskets left? Okay. <laughs> like, okay. I know it's been a long week and 12 baskets. One, one for each of the disciples? A, a spring for each of the 12 tribes? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that each disciple didn't eat the whole basket full. And I, I, I don't know that the tribes are nicely dispersed around the 12 springs, you know, just neatly situated. Don't know. But just think about the parallelism. Think about God's provision. It's sufficient. More than sufficient. And we can look back at the bitterness and miss the springs that He has for us coming forth. Or even once we get to the springs, we can just keep looking back. And the bitter water poisons our spirit. This, this is a call for the people of God to listen to the voice of the Lord. Now, as, as the test goes on, uh, they set out from Elim, chapter 16, and 16 is a, a larger section indeed. We read the first part of it um, where God, God says, I will provide, I will supply the need for you. The people are complaining. They want meat now. Grumbling, another test. And God's, God provides quail. This part of the narrative doesn't dwell much upon the meat aspect of it, but, but that he provided for it. But it, 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 it highlights the manna, the bread from heaven. How did manna get its name? Well, it's, it's really based on verse 15. When they go out and they, they look at it and they say, what is this? I'm not sure the tone. When Israel saw it, verse 15, they said to one another, what is it? The word, the word um, what is the word man. A. It's man. And, and so from this, they get the word mana. What is it? They still never really knew. I mean, there's this what beautiful descriptive coriander seed, which I learned... I learned is a an is the herb that I don't like. I thought manna, you know, was like angel food. That's what the Psalms call it. It's angel food, and I'm thinking cake. <laughs> Coriander. Good. But the honey part's good, the crisp part's good. I, I, I'm sure what God made is good. I don't want to go back to bitter. But doesn't coriander kind of have a bitter taste? No? Am I confusing it with cilantro or something? I don't know. Don't listen to me. <laughs> At least when it comes to herbs. 
What is it? What is it? I don't know. Oh, there's uh, some explanations about some uh, worm larvae and that kind of thing. Like, well, well, maybe. Even if it is that kind of cocoon type thing that's there, I mean, it's a lot of it. It's still miraculous. I know angel food sounds better than larvae, but what is it? Now, we didn't, we didn't necessarily read the whole, the whole section. You know, they're supposed to gather six days and then on the sixth day, double so that they don't gather on the seventh day. Up till now, they've not been told anything about a weekend. They've not been told anything about Sabbath day. It's perhaps implied in their memories, if they remember the creation order, Genesis 1 and 2, that the Lord worked six days and then rested on the seventh. The word Sabbath or Shabbat is the word seven, the seventh. And here is a precursor to what will come in Exodus chapter 20 about working six days and then resting one. Um, Boy, are we confused about this. I was challenged by this whole aspect and recognizing um, I, I, don't, I don't do this well. Now, other parts of the world are struggling with, with working six days. Some of us are struggling with resting one, but some other parts of the world are in big, you know, almost close to revolution about having to work six days. I mean, it, that's part of the command. You notice, well, we're not there in Exodus 20, but you shall work six days Whoa, that's imperative. And then rest one. We'd rather maybe work three or four and rest three or four. Interesting. Well, I suppose I digress. We'll get onto that. But we're, we are supposed to work for bread, and bread is going to come with sweat and toil. Because, because of our, again, not listening to the voice of the Lord in our forefathers and sister, Adam and Eve, we've plunged into a world that is wrecked by sin and fallenness. And, and so work becomes less desirable, in a sense. It's, it's more difficult. Genesis 3.19 tells us the Lord's own words, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will return. You're going to work, you're going to make bread, and you're going to sweat all the way through the process. I don't know if you've ever read Robinson Crusoe. Maybe... um, it's a, it's a good read. It's a fascinating read. I, I enjoy going back to it leading up to Thanksgiving. Part of the, part of the aspect of Robinson Crusoe is that uh, he's rejected the faith of his father. He's, he's walked away from the Lord, um, and he gets shipwrecked. And through this shipwreck, God is drawing uh, Robinson Crusoe back to himself. And through this, he gets supplies off the, the tankered ship, uh, off offshore, and he has this bag of grain, and he's and he's hopeful. This is an arduous process for him. He's he's hopeful that if he does it 
just right that maybe from that grain he'll be able to use some as seed and plant it in the ground and nurture it and watch it come and bring forth enough that he can make some flour and, and finally have some good British bread. I think he's British. I think if I remember right. Good baked bread. That's what he's longing for. I won't tell you how it ends. But it's that kind of longing and that kind of desire. Right? And it's hard work, and we're told that. And we're, we're told to be resourceful, right? God, in the book of Proverbs, says, you know, work diligently. Until he tells us not to. And then, you know, we, we get it flipped around, don't we? He tells us to work diligently, and we don't. And then he tells us to rest, and we don't. We just messed up. God provided the bread and the meat, verses 12 and 13. And again, this is, this is in order that his people would learn to walk in his law. Verse 4, and, and then again, verse, verse 28. I would test them whether they will walk in my law or not, verse 4. And verse 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? These tests of life are to demonstrate whether you will be one who listens to the voice of the Lord and one who walks in the ways of the Lord. That's what these tests are about. How you doing? Just, you know, kind of sit there, get a little, little, little tabulation, do a little self, self-correction on your exam, right? Correct your own paper. Get the little red pen out right now in your mind, in your heart, how you doing on this exam? You're listening to the voice of the Lord and you're walking in His law. The bitterness comes, the times of need come. How you doing? He tells us to rest in verse 30. He does throughout the whole thing. But the Lord has given you the Shabbat, the seventh, the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people were to rest on the seventh day. See, God began to form his people and give them a culture. They, they hadn't been a nation. They hadn't been but a tribal people. They had no, no government. They had no king. But God is, is building them into a nation. He's giving them a culture and He's establishing a pattern, a weak pattern for this particular culture and society. Unknown in the world. Unheeded by the rest of societies. And the Sabbath principle is introduced to them. Six days they gather their bread, and the seventh they rest. It becomes a pattern and a rhythm of life, and it renews them physically, but more so it reminds them of God. It reminds them spiritually that they don't live by their own work or by their own provision. They don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God provided this, it tells us in verse 35, for 40 
years, the entire time that they're in the wilderness and then even cross over into the Jordan until they could finally eat of the land of promise. Joshua chapter 5, it stops. God's provision. And so it's a daily exercise of faith and trust. And Jesus would teach us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, ask your Father, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Later, just a few verses in Matthew 6, verse 34, Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day as its own trouble. How are you doing? Trusting today, the Lord of this day. This is the day the Lord has made, the psalmist would say. Now, it's in our natures to be good stewards, to be provident, to lay up today what we might need for tomorrow, or to lay up today what I might need for 40 years from now. And on the whole, the Scripture commends us, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 10, Proverbs 20, Proverbs 24, right? Work diligently. But here, the Lord says, don't save it, don't preserve it, don't hoard it. If you do, it'll go to worms and maggots. And yet, some tried. They, they saved it a little bit for the next day, and it spoiled. They went out on the seventh day looking for what is it, and it's not. It's gone. It's not there. Their lack of faith, their unwilling spirit, betrays their lack of trust in the Lord Himself. They don't believe Him. So the Lord teaches us, He disciplines us to trust Him, to depend upon His Word. Deuteronomy 8, the Lord tested you that you would know you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus quotes that passage from Deuteronomy 8 when he's tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 and the stones in that area are kind of rounded loaf-like looking and, and the devil go, goes to Jesus and says, hey turn those stones that look like bread into bread. And Jesus responds, Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, in John chapter 4, we, we alluded to that passage in some of the songs, the woman at the well. And, and the disciples come back and uh, they're asking him, do you need any food? You hungry? And he says, I have food you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus, Jesus lives this out. Now, now get this. Yes, God led Jesus by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The text actually says 
the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. One of the very same temptations that Israel met after God led them into the wilderness is bread. And temptation that Jesus faces from the devil in the wilderness as he's put there by the hand of God, bread. Do you suppose that's going to be one of our chief tests and temptations? Jesus is the bread. We read in John chapter 6 that significant passage, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You see, the, the realities of Israel's life, their whole journey, their testings, and even the provisions are fantastic, miraculous, divine interventions. but they pale in comparison to what they point us to, to real bread and real drink. And it is the Lord Jesus himself. So too in, in our lives, we, we have so much. Food and clothing and shelter. We have so much. All the, the little things of life. God has given you this material experience to point you and direct you to real needs, to true needs for your soul and your spirit. So, you know, We'll sit down at mealtimes, and what do we do? We pray. Sorry, just easy answer. <laughs> we pray. Now, depending on your, your, your denominational background and tradition, you might, you might sit down, and, and you all look at each other, and you just go, <laughs> and we're done at the same time. Amazingly, you know. Uh, other, other traditions are, you know, a little more free church background, and you, you sit down and, dear God, and, you know, and it's very formal, and you let everybody around know you preach the gospel right in your, your meal of Thanksgiving. And others are formulaic, right? Um, and I'm going to forget the formula now. What? I can't remember the formula. Nuts, I didn't write it down. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food. By his hand we all are fed, thank you Lord for daily bread. I got a bad memory. I, but what, what the point is, we sit down and we do this and we do it in a sense ritualistically, liturgically, as rote pattern and behavior. Uh, I'm sure most of the time we are indeed grateful for what we're about to receive. But in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's pretending to go on just a little bit further. And the disciples, no, stay with us, stay with us. So he, he goes into the hotel room with them and, and in the dining hall and he takes the bread. And as soon as he lifts the bread, they're like, oh, 
It's Jesus. When we come to the bread on the table, any, anywhere in the world, and we see the food that he has provided for us, it's like, now I see Jesus for who Jesus really is. He's everything to me. I can feed upon him and be satisfied and nourished and enriched. He's, he's life itself, the food for my belly, and I get way too much. It really just is a pointer to the real bread from heaven. And the disciples, after having that last supper, uh, with Jesus would never ever be able to go to the table the same again without seeing the bread broken it's Jesus are you walking in the ways of the Lord are you listening to his voice one more test verse 17 begins all the congregation of, the, of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin what a name wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and they camped at Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink so the people quarreled with Moses and said give us water to drink and Moses said to them why do you quarrel with me why do you test the Lord but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said why'd you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst so Moses cried to the Lord, what do I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Maribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Yeah, Massah means testing, and Maribah means arguing. So these name places are, are after the very character and attitude of their heart. They grumble, they demonstrate an entitlement attitude, a demanding spirit, and they test the Lord. They presume upon the grace of God, His provision. It, it, the question maybe could, could go something like this. Well, if God is really with us, then why doesn't He... And, and it can go into all areas of of theological question. It gets into our very experiential existence. Well, if God was, was really loving to me, he'd let me have that chocolate cake or whatever. I mean, it could be more significant of a question. If God is love, then why does this happen? That becomes a real question of, of his being and of his character. And it may be a legitimate question as we're pondering, like we see what's going on in the world. You know, if God is love, then why all this nastiness? 
And as we ponder those philosophical and theological questions, we, we come back to the root of many of our own questions as the people of God, the children of God, and we have our practical atheism, right? Our functional atheism. And the questions really come not because God is insufficient, but because of our own attitude and spirit of entitlement. You deserve a break today. They, they disbelieved God's promise. They demanded God's provision. They questioned God's protection. And they doubted God's presence. Now, when they acted this way in the presence of Pharaoh, how did Pharaoh respond? Put them down. Oh, you're lazy. You go get your own straw from now on. When they act this way with God, what does God do? He's gracious and He's merciful. He doesn't push them down. He lifts them up. He gives them water. Wow. What master do you serve? The spirit of the world? It's all about survival of the fittest? It's all about seize the day? Or do you serve the master of creation? who calls you to rest. Stop grasping, striving, and rest. And recenter your mind and your heart on the God who made you and made you to rejoice in Him. Rest. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. God had already provided that tree. Somehow or another, He provided the movement of the quail in migration. Somehow, He's provided these springs of water with, within the geology of that specific location and time. And Moses strikes the rock and living water flows forth for his people. Now we, we, we need to take a shortcut and I'm sorry for that, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that that rock is Jesus. This rock is Jesus. I know it's a different context. He's the one. 1 Corinthians 10 I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink, water from the rock. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Wow. 
I know you're thirsty. We're all thirsty this morning. And we're trying to, to find the best libation that will cool our parched tongues and satisfy our quenched spirits. The only water that will satisfy is Christ Himself. Living water from the rock. And yet, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 10 says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Because they didn't listen to the voice of the Lord, they didn't walk in the ways of God, and they didn't drink from the Spirit of God Himself. Final exams this week. We just took one. How are we doing? Self-correct your paper. Don't pass it to your neighbor. Just look at your own paper. Between you and God. You want to cheat? You can't. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. He's made you. He's made you for Himself. He's inviting you to come free of all that binds you and holds you from real life and satisfaction. How do we, how do we summarize this? What is all this about? Well, a lot, isn't it? But here's just a, a list in summation. How do we apply this truth? One, be comforted with the fact that God leads His children, yes, even in the wilderness. And He's already been there providing what's going to be needed at that very moment. And yes, God heals the bitter waters of life and makes them sweet. So you can trust God to provide all that you need in life and in godliness. And, and know that when we stumble and when we falter in the wilderness, that Christ has passed all the tests of the wilderness for you. He's passed them all for you with perfection. His life is in your place. And His death is in your place. It's all covered. It's all paid for. And so you can rest from your labor. You can rest in the Lord and feed upon real food. You don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, Lord, we thank You for these images that uh, are real history in Your work in the world and with the people that You've called. So, God, we're walking as pilgrims this day. Some of us are walking a way that does look a little barren with some bitterness of life experience. 
So, Father, would you turn the bittersweet spirit into sweetness? Would we see that the bitter herbs, when crushed, emanate a fragrance that's good? Some of us are walking in the place of 12 springs and 70 palms. It's good. But, O oh Lord, may we not presume upon your goodness and your grace. And may all the gifts of life as well as the griefs point us to you, O Father, Son, and Spirit, and satisfy us now. We ask these things in the name of the Lord, our great Jehovah. Amen.